y'all. Marty Smith here for Outsider. This is the Marty Smith Podcast, and it's a special one this week. No Travis, no Wes, no Brandon, just me and LV Shane, who has a brand new album out. He put it out in October. It's called Backslider. And guys, I have listened to this record so many times on repeat, and it's one of those albums that you don't have to seek songs. You don't have to fast forward through songs. You don't have to skip because they're all so good. And it's as a guy who grew up in small-town Appalachia, working on a cattle farm in a mountain town that is small, and you cruise Hardee's and drive around a Dairy Queen, this record speaks so much to my life growing up in that type of town and the evolution of becoming a man and making mistakes and having wins and losses and finding a woman who has patience with you and grace beyond words that helps make you a better person. It's just an absolutely phenomenal record. Again, it's called Backslider, and I charged Travis with finding LV for me, with locking down time with him and LV gave us more time than we deserved. I think he gave us almost 50 minutes of his time to walk through this project and its evolution and putting it all together. The writing process, the vulnerability required, the impact some of the songs have had on a much broader plane than just self. Y'all are going to love this conversation. I did. I'm still a little bit high from it. So without further ado, here is LV Shane on the Marty Smith Podcast at Outsider. It's a pleasure for me to welcome this gentleman to the Marty Smith Podcast. Brother, first of all, thank you so much for your time, LV. And I want to tell you something, man. Uh, When you put out this record, Backslider, I turned it on. And, of course, I had heard my boy. I mean, that thing uh, is in heavy rotation on satellite radio and and whatnot and i had heard it and i really enjoyed your perspective in that song is so vulnerable and so beautiful and so when you put the record out i turned it on and i haven't been able to turn it off since uh it's spectacular so i want to walk through your path i want to walk through your passions but let's start with that record um how do you describe to people who haven't heard it what they're going to get when they listen Oh, man. Uh, well, first, I appreciate all that, man. That's awesome. I mean, all we can hope for is that people will enjoy our music when we put it out. So I appreciate y'all digging in and listening. Uh, but, I mean, we probably – I wrote for like two or three years to put this whole thing together. And after I pulled the songs out of all the songs I'd written with my, my co-writers and put these songs together, I kind of looked at it and was like, man, this – if you put this in the right order, it's kind of like chronological order of my life. And uh, it became kind of a biography piece, you know, and uh, we laid it out in a way that it starts like right now with I Will Run, um, a very uh, circular song, but very current. Uh, you know, there's one line in that song that says these days it's who I'm running to, not what I'm running from. <laughs> and that kind of set the course for the rest of the record to me. Um, so we start with that song and go back in time to like my coming of age years, if you will, and growing up in Caneyville, Kentucky, 
and uh, I like to call those the the dazed and confused. That's the dazed and confused <laughs> chapter. I love that movie, you know. Yeah. Uh, but uh, <laughs> so there's a lot of stuff from the County Roads EP on there, and it kind of sets the scene of you know what it's like to just be a, a a young a young man growing up in in rural Kentucky. And um, then you go on to uh, what I like to call the Mandy years, starting with my kind of trouble. I met my wife at a bar. She was working there. I was playing pool and drinking pictures with my buddies, you know. And so uh, it was a very appropriate song to uh, introduce my wife. And then, uh, you know, that goes on through to my boy. Uh, and then you get to a song I wrote with my, my younger brother called Heartbreaks and Headaches. And I start what I call the Nashville years there. And, uh you know that that section, all of this record's really honest to to how I grew up. But that section, like that song, "Heartbreaks and Headaches," was very honest to my brother at the time. And that that whole section of the record became like a tribute to what I love about country music and and the style of writing. I really, I think we all love to write those, you know, like "She's Gone" songs. But uh, and sorry, I'm on. I'm, it's, I'm tangent here, but uh, then you get to Miles, the last song on the record, and my my personal favorite as of right now, um, which is just uh, the most honest song that I believe I've ever been a part of, and uh, a circular song as well. I'm I'm, uh, I'm super proud of that one, and uh, and you know how we built that track around that song. There's so much I gotta ask you, man. Uh, you said something there that intrigued me. What 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 do you love about country music? Man, I just like the uh, I like like when I go back and listen to uh, which I've been doing a lot here lately. I've been going back and listening to like Merle and Charlie Rich and George Jones and stuff. And it's like there's something about those types of songs in particular, like Heartbreaks and Headaches or My Mississippi. Or uh, I, I'm really on the Charlie Rich kick right now with, uh, you know, if, if you happen to see the most beautiful girl in the world, tell her I'm sorry. You know, it's like those kind of songs, those She's Gone songs, to, for some reason, are just, they seem like uh, they're very uh, foundational in country music. Uh, but I, I love that about country music. I love how country music came out of gospel and blues and you know, rock made its way into it, and you see that with Charlie Rich and his early stuff. You can see a lot of uh, Elvis influence in his very early stuff, but it's it's all stuff that makes you feel something, man. And that's that's really what the uh, the main goal here was with the entire record was just like make the listener feel something. And I felt like the only way I could achieve that is if I felt something by what we were creating in the writing room and in the studio. Well, there's no debate. You succeeded. Uh... <laughs> I don't want to say that I'm I don't want to say I'm difficult as someone I, I'm a I'm fanatical about country music too. I'm fanatical about the history of the format. I'm fanatical about the pioneers of the format. Um I grew up in Appalachia, so all that that whole path, I've studied that whole path. I know you grew up in Appalachia too. We're damn proud people of kind of how backwards we are. We love it and we own it. And but, but the, the, that's what I love about this this record, LV, is what it made me feel. I, in my real life, I'm a sports journalist, and I was driving home from the University of Georgia after I did a feature on one of their football players, and that's about a four-hour drive. And with traffic around Gaffney, South Carolina, I live in Charlotte, 
uh, it can end up being a five-hour drive. And I just had that record on a loop. And I get to Saturday Night Me. And, I, I, brother, I listened to that song 15, 20 times in a row, and I just wanted to process every single word because there's this beautiful – it's you, we, we've heard this dynamic from the history of country music, but the way that you said it and the way that you wrote it with stained glass and neon and all of these juxtapositions between the angel and the devil and the, and the, and the hell raiser that guys like you and me are. And then we find that woman and we collide with that, you know, we collide with that beauty and that grace and that peace and it makes us demand a new piece of ourselves. I just, I couldn't stop listening to. I still can't stop listening to. I'm walking a damn dog yesterday, and I'm saying, I can't sing, I can't carry a tune in a bucket, son. But I was singing it at the top <laughs> of my lungs. So, so I, I know I'm rambling a little bit, but you succeeded no. in in that mission, is what I'm trying to tell you. Well, man, I appreciate that, and and kudos too. I got. I can't take all the credit for for any of this, man. There's so there's a huge team, um, of course, that was part of making all of this come together. But that song in particular, uh, that song I will run, sundress, county road, I love sundress, keep on strumming. I love that one too, man. One of my favorites on the record as well. But um, so I wrote all those five songs with uh, two separate groups of people. So. County Roads and Keep On Strumming was with Dan Couch and Oscar Charles, uh, who Oscar produced the record. And then um, uh, Dan Couch has wrote a bunch of stuff with like Kip Moore and stuff, and I, and I love Kip stuff. Uh, but then I will run Saturday Night Me, Sundress. I wrote all those with uh, Adam Wood and Doug Johnson. Adam Wood is a writer over at Curb, uh, signed a deal with, with Lee Bryce, Lee it's got a cool story about how he ended up getting his deal. Lee kind of called in the middle of the meeting or something. It's like, y'all going to sign this boy or am I going to have to, you know? So, <laughs> uh, but it's, Adam's a, man, he's a prolific songwriter. And, uh, and Doug Johnson, man, that dude was the first guy in Nashville that ever had had a hit or anything going for himself that sit in a room with me and gave me the time of day. So, but the point of it is those, those four writers in particular – uh, all these writers are super important to me on the record, but those four writers in particular were very responsible for helping me find the voice that I, I was looking for with with my music and how I wanted to tell my story. And uh, they're really great at like sitting in a room and, and helping me dig and not really fighting me that hard when I'm when I'm passionate about something. Like if I if I just want to say ain't instead of isn't, you know, it's like it's it, That's they who don't, we are, they don't bro. You know, yeah, they don't give me no shit about it, and it's uh. So kudos to those guys. I I love all the songs I wrote with those guys, and uh, they're you know they really sparked that fire that started the, you know the whole. Be as honest as you can thing with with the whole record, and it kind of like started the whole idea of like how honest can we be in our approach to these songs. I can see – I know you got a tour coming up, uh, I guess, first of the year at some point. And I, I can see it now. I can see as that tour progresses and it grows, I can see that bridge on Saturday Night Me, which is just unbel- – like, it's it's a so cool the way that y'all did it. I want your perspective on how, whose idea was that, how did that unfold. For those of you guys who may not have heard the song, it's this – 
the song almost stops and LV sings, I find my peace somewhere in the space between Saturday night, me and Sunday morning, you. And I, that's the part where I can't, man, I got to sing again. I can't sing. For <laughs> Boy, I, I give it every last ounce of everything I got when that hits. Like how, how, put me in the room when you're writing with those guys and, and how that unfolds. That's that whole song started with uh, Doug Johnson had a a uh, idea called Sunday Morning You, and I started playing this little lick on on acoustic guitar, and and we got to kicking some ideas around, and I was like Doug, well, you know, what about me? You know, I want to talk about me. I want to talk about I. <laughs> So I was like, what if it was what if it was Saturday night me runs into Sunday morning you and I love how you said collide because that's how like that was that was really what I, I wanted to accomplish with like saying when Saturday night me runs into Sunday morning you because it was it was a collision. Like my life was so crazy and just it was it just wasn't good. And when I met this woman, there was there was an instant change, you know. So but he had that idea. We started playing the thing, and and then it's just like that melody just kind of came out of the ether. I, Doug Johnson has a awesome saying. He says, "Great songs come from where the wind comes from," and uh, mm. you know, I I I love that song. I to me, that song is great. I'm not trying to say that I, I you know I write great songs or anything, but I I love that song because it means so much to me and it, it's about my wife and that that song is probably the biggest tribute to my wife on the record but yeah man and then you just you get i think i was spitting out some of those lines and 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 melody in the in the verse and then you get you got doug over here who's freaking wrote every great song in the history of country music and you got adam wood over here who's throwing all the i remember adam was was like this might be dumb but what if we were like you know, girl, your angels and my demons, they just seem to get along. So good. And I was just like, what in the hell is dumb about that? <laughs> it's amazing. What it is is like, it's a, it's, it's like miraculous. I mean, anybody who, and it's, uh, listen, there's a lot of good old boys going to listen to this who have lived, who have and are living that. And, I, you and know, I think about my pain in the ass to their wife every day, but they, they oh, know God, it's yeah. true. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. I mean, my, I say all the time, I mean, the, the stuff that my wife's put up with, she she has grace that I'll never be able to encapsulate or ever be able to articulate. And for that, I'm grateful because she's walked through quite a path with me of insecurity and ego and trying to figure out how to be a good man and all those things. And she was always a great has been a great compass from the second we met and so that song just really spoke to me sundress really spoke to me i love county roads growing up where i did uh all of it it's just so good man it's so good so so i, I want to know uh i, I don't want to pry but i'm intrigued about who you were before her and what you're willing to share with me about what about the struggle you were in Oh no, man! It's 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 uh I'm willing to share whatever uh you know I I went I got out of high school in 2006. I took off straight for a little small town in Tennessee called Redbourne Springs, and I uh, went to work for the pastor of my church. He would drive up to Kentucky every Sunday and pastor our church, and he had a mobile home warranty 
business. And um, I got into the ministry for a little while. And then so I did that for a couple of years. And I just found myself uh, teaching things because I had been taught them, not because I necessarily had figured out if I truly believed them or not. And uh, it it created a, a huge conflict uh, within me, you know. So I left that. And I moved on to uh, Bowling Green, Kentucky. Two years after I graduated high school, I started going to college, and I I wanted to be the first, you know, first person in my family to go to a four-year college and do great. And I did really well for the first three or four semesters. Made straight A's, dean's list, all that stuff. And uh, and then I started partying a little too hard and and getting into trouble so you know uh one thing leads to another drinking smoking and then other things get introduced to you and and i i'd been to jail a little bit and you know just i i had this great friend i was living in this house that that people kind of nicknamed the hell house because it was it just kind of was a trap you know and um we had a good time there and i made some good friends there and i got still some of those the ones that made it out uh alive and and well and and are doing well today you know we're still friends but uh i had one great friend who kind of realized what situation i was in and and told me hey man uh my roommate's moving out why don't you just come stay with me and as soon as you get on your feet you can start paying me back for whatever back rent you owe and so i I moved in with him pretty much immediately and uh he started taking me to this bar called overtime in bowling green and we would go play pool just all day, all night. When we weren't working or doing whatever, we'd play pool. And uh, that's where I ended up running into my wife. So, uh, yeah, my buddy Paul, he was, he was, he is a great dude. He's over in Denver now. I ain't seen him in a long time, but uh, I'd say he's probably got a pretty elevated perspective on life. He, <laughs> he has, uh, <laughs> he has a good time. But, uh, but no, man, yeah. So there's just a lot of trouble, and uh, you know, not only. I, you know, I was I was still battling some of my demons when I met Mandy. But when I met Mandy, you know, there was a there was a period of time where I was just I was too good. Like I was I was uh, I, I was way too well misbehaved. Uh, my my soul didn't know how to, to take it, you know. So I, I still I still got to get a little rowdy every now and then these days. But I, I put my guitar up for three years. I didn't play any music because I kind of felt like that was associated with that lifestyle. and. Uh, I just uh, I had to uh, I had to do a complete 180 to learn a little bit of willpower and self control to be able to move forward in my life, you know. And I think that was all very necessary to the journey to you know talking to you today. What happened when you picked that guitar back up? Man, I tell you what, I I really I I got into the steel drivers. I had a, I had my wife had some friends that had a band here called Borrow Blue. Kentucky Boys. Uh, yeah, they had a they had a band. They would go around and play a lot of bars, play casinos, and uh, one of them would go to Nashville and write every week and been trying to get me to come down for forever. And we were at an after party one night, and I had uh, I had been paying attention to the Seal Drivers. Then I learned about the Johnson Brothers, uh, two bands that Stapleton was in, and there was this song the Johnson Brothers had called Barely Alive. And I just kind of picked up on it and grabbed my guitar one night and figured it out. And it was the first time I'd done it in, like I said, three years. And at that party one night, I grabbed a guitar and started playing and, and sang that song. And everybody was just like, 
what the hell you see <laughs> and uh so then uh the, i started playing with those guys and doing their uh their breaks at the bars or opening up for them and then eventually uh because of stapleton again uh the cma performance my buddy had been trying to get me to go to nashville for for like a year and write with him and and there was there was just a thing that was working in nashville that that uh I connected with some of it, but not the majority of it. And I didn't really feel, I felt like if I went to Nashville, it, it just didn't feel like the right time. And uh, then that CMA performance where Stapleton and Justin Timberlake played together. I've talked about this a million times, whiskey. but I love the story. Yeah, man. And it was so cool to see this guy, like this hillbilly country rock and roll dude on one side of the stage and this like urban hip hop, pop, you know, kind of current king of pop dude on the other side of the stage and they came together and created something that was so amazing and cohesive and I remember just being in awe watching that and I remember I remember Keith Urban's face like one time the camera goes to Keith Urban's face and I remember seeing his face and just be like yeah he feels the same way I do <laughs> uh but as soon as that that performance was over um my buddy calls me and he's like, you reckon it's time to go to Nashville yet? And I was like, man, I feel like there may have been some doors just open up. So I, I went with him the following Monday and started doing all this. I don't know how I got off on that, but tangential, but it happens. I'm glad you did. That's a, it is a great story. Uh, so when you get to Nashville, uh, how do you react to what it, what it's like in Nashville? Man, I thought, Damn, I've been waiting a long time to do this every day, all day long. You know, I get up in the morning and, and have some coffee, write a song, you know, somebody come over and join us. And I was like, this is the best job in the world for me. I've been practicing arguing since I was two. So, it like, as a songwriter, all you got to really do is be good at arguing, you know. Uh, so, I was, uh, that was really cool. And then after that, we would go to the bar. And like three o'clock in the afternoon, we go to this bar called Losers, which was like the the place where all the up and coming, you know, a lot of guys that I used to hang out with losers every afternoon from three to two in the morning now have publishing deals and record deals. And it's really cool to like see it's almost like a class of, you know, a high school class moving its way up or whatever. Um, but we would do that and then. You know, it was hard on it was hard on family. I was down there for two years uh, doing that. My wife was staying in Kentucky. I was booking my own shows and driving a '97 Dodge, like Ram 3000, around the country, like booking my own shows, playing four hours a night, Thursday through Saturday. And um, you know, it was it was tough on Mandy. She was holding the fort down at home. And uh, I was I was 100% faithful to her the whole time that was going on in the bars and all that stuff. And I'm I'm really thankful that nothing nothing like that got in between us because I, I I could say it would be easy, you know, for things like that to work their ways into relationship. And and um, she of course, you know, she's she's just a pillar, man. So I wouldn't do anything to lose that girl. I, I feel like I've teetered on the edge a couple of times, but she's really stubborn. Thank God. Um, but then, you know, two years after uh, two years after we started coming down there, you know, we got we ended up with a publishing deal and she started coming. She got a part time job in Nashville and just was back and forth between here and Nashville so that uh, our boy could uh, 
he was going to a Christian school here in Monticello. Didn't want to put him in uh, Metro School in Nashville. That would have been a huge culture shock. So we've worked it out, man. There's been there's been so many sacrifices made uh, by her, uh, by me. Um, it's uh, but it's been a really interesting journey. It's it's really cool to see, look and see where we are now, and and where the music has has taken us. It's it's really awesome to look at. How do you define making it in that town? Man, I don't know that there's a formula to making it. I mean, I feel like making it's different for everybody. But uh, I think if you just uh, – it's cool. I was I was going to Losers a lot, like I said. And every time I would go there, I would see the guy that, that owns the bar and uh, I'll keep his name out of it. But he uh, he would always buy me a shot, me and my buddies. He he seemed to like me and a few of my buddies and uh he buys a shot you know and everything and then I, I went there for a long time and and then i started not going there when i found my group of guys that i was writing songs i was proud of with i started not going to the bar as much and we ended up writing my boy in that span of time and uh then i seen him months later and I had some things going on and I had published doing everything and i seen him and he said he said, hey, man, I haven't seen you in here quite as much lately. He said, that's good. And I was like, well, that's cool coming from the guy that owns the bar. But I think he was just saying, you know, I can tell, you know, I can tell you're working. But I think just like for for anybody who may be listening that's thinking about going down there, it's just like if you go down there to do it, just keep your head down and find the group of people that you work well with and you feel like you're getting stuff that that, you know, speaks to what you're trying to accomplish and just write and write and write i mean we loved writing songs so much and i love still love writing songs so much that back then we would write three songs a day four songs a day sometimes we get up at 10 in the morning start having cigarettes and coffee and write from 10 in the morning to three in the morning you know it's you just gotta you gotta love it and making it is just like I don't know. Just be happy with what you're doing. I feel like I've I feel like I've been making it since I went to Nashville the first day. You know. A couple more things, and I'll let you run, brother. Uh, walk us through my boy and what it <laughs> kind of took for you to bring that out of your soul. Because again, there might be some people listening who might not have heard it. Uh, I want to hear it kind of start to finish because. The first time that I heard it, I thought, what an amazing testimony <laughs> for uh, a well, guy who inherits a guy who inherits a lot. Yeah, definitely inherits a lot. That's a good way to put it, man. Um, I mean, it, it kind of starts and I'll try to I'll try to keep it as short as possible. But uh, it's a podcast. It starts, you don't have to, bro. <laughs> OK, good deal. Well, you know, I told you I met my wife at that bar, and, and you know, the first time she came up and talked to me, she kind of, I kind of felt like body language or whatever kind of told me that, you know, maybe maybe she liked me a little bit or at least thought I was good looking, you know. Well, the second time she met me, she still had the same presence about her, but she, she told me she had a five-year-old little boy. And I could tell, like, when she said that she had a five-year-old little boy when she told me that, like, not that she was ashamed of, of the kid or anything or or scared in whatever way but it was just like 
it almost seemed to me, and maybe it's just my ego, but it seemed to me like she was afraid it was going to like make me not be interested in her anymore. And it was the exact, it was, you know, the exact opposite of that. Um, I was, that was like such a huge punch in the face. Cause I was like, I already know I like this girl. I need to make some changes in my life. And this seems like two really big reasons to make those changes. So, uh, so fast forward a year later, we're, we're living in Monticello. We moved out of Bowling Green because we just couldn't figure out what we wanted to be when we grow, grew up. And she was having to drive back and forth all the time over here. And, um, we get married a year after we start dating. Um, three years later, I didn't play no music. I started going to Nashville. I'm sitting on the back porch after I quit going to the bar so much. I'm sitting on the back porch with Russell Sutton, Lee Starr, Nick Columbia, uh, three of the guys from my, my OG crew. And the night before, the drummer, the drummer's stepmother from the band I was telling you about earlier, my, my wife's friend's band, uh, she sent me a Facebook post that said, I don't have a stepson. I have a son that was born before I met him. And I was like, dang, that's awesome. That's so profound. we were sitting on the back. Wow. Yeah, man. It was, it was, uh, it's cool that it came from, from a buddy stepmom who inherited him, uh, when he was very young because his, his mother had passed away from, from, uh, cancer. And, um, she, you know, she took him in as her own as well. Um, but yeah, Lee Starr was trying to leave, but we started talking about this idea and Russell Sutton wasn't about to let him leave. And, and Russell knew that if he would just have, a guitar in Lee Star's hand that Lee Star would start playing something. So he said, Hey man, hold this guitar for me while I go in here and grab a beer. And Lee sits there and starts playing noodling around on this thing. And we've been talking about that Facebook post and he, he's stand Russell's standing in there in the window of the kitchen, like got him, you know, comes back out with some Coors lights for everybody. And somebody, uh, Nick Columbia said, hey, man, tell me about your son. And I said, dude, he's my boy. And he said, hell, why don't we just write that, you know? And and uh, somebody said, he ain't got my smile that don't bother me a bit. And he's got somebody else's eyes I'm seeing myself in. And, like, we were we were already in tears in the, at that point. And so we felt something. But it, it, was, a, it was a really cool – it was a really cool writing experience. Uh, I love the vulnerability of, of that song and other songs that we put on the record. I feel like I've missed – vulnerability in in uh male artist music for a while you know um i can but I yeah man agree. yeah because we uh, we're we're all supposed to be so tough you know and uh, we're, we're dudes um and you know we can be i mean i i might not be able to do it but if i have to i'll try to whoop your ass you know but, but at the same time i <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll, I'll hug, I'll hug your neck and, you know, and, and cry with you if, if you lose somebody or, or, you know, if, if you get hurt in, in any kind of way. And, and I think, uh, I think it's all part of being, being a good man is, is being, you know, being vulnerable, being tough, being faithful, being, you know, all that stuff. And uh, I try to touch on all that in the, in the whole record, but, uh, but that going back to that song, it was just, it was such a cool, vulnerable writing experience. It turned into four grown ass 20 something year old men drinking Coors lights and hugging on each other and crying <laughs> by the end of the night. I'll never forget the next morning. One of my favorite parts of that song, writing that song, Russell Sutton walks out in his flamey 
uh, fleece pajama pants, no shirt, cigarette hanging out of his lip, and a and his Taylor guitar. And he walks up to me outside, and he's like, "Elvie, I don't think we know what we did last night." And uh, I said, "Well, I, maybe we don't." Lord, we had no idea what kind of you know fire that that night had started for all of our careers and everything. It was awesome. How have listeners in similar situations responded to it? What, what what are they saying to you? Man, what's cool is like, it's not just in similar situations. I, I had no idea the reach that this song would have. It, it, it's awesome to hear from people who are in similar situations and see the videos and, and all this stuff. And, you know, when I wrote this song, I'll be a hundred percent honest, man. I was I was on a struggle bus with my relationship with my with my stepson, with my in laws, with everything. And and I wrote the song with these guys from a place of hope. I wanted this boy to know how much I wanted to be this this man to him, so that you know when he was older, like if if he could just hear and understand when he's not you know seven eight years old, when he's fifteen sixteen, if he could hear the words and really understand. And that's where this song really came from out of my heart of hearts, you know. Um, but seeing it come to fruition in so many other people's stories and seeing so many people have a way now to say what I realized the song did is it gave people a way to say I love you in a way they maybe hadn't been able to express before. And and I thought that was so <clears throat> I thought that was so cool. Uh but then, you know, you start getting foster families adoptive families um teachers coaches i had a surrogate mother come up to me and, and tell me how she relates to this song the coolest one to me is because I've, I've been hated on a lot for this song too not not a whole lot but wow. i'd say you know yeah i'd say like two percent or maybe less uh way less than two percent but sometimes, you know, you get these guys that are like, you know, they're biological fathers. And, and, and I, dude, at first it pissed me off. And, I, and I'll tell you what changed my mind here real quick. This guy started posting on my Facebook one night. And he was like telling me I was poaching some other man's son. And no matter what, I that, that boy ain't my kid and all this stuff. And I got pissed off and, and I just... You're not supposed to read the comments, and he sure as hell not supposed to comment back, right? But I commented back, cool story, bro, you know? And then I was just steaming. And then I was like, man, that was kind of an asshole thing to say. Uh, I didn't have to be that way just because he was being that way. So I, I started creeping on his Facebook. I went back and looked at his page. And you scroll back about four or five whatever months worth of posts, and all it was was pictures of him and his kid. Every every picture, every post was him and his kid. And then it turned into baby mama's new boyfriend, blah, blah, blah. I haven't seen my kid in however many weeks, whatever. And then I was like, oh, dang, man, I really screwed up. I shouldn't have said what I said. This dude's just hurting. He ain't pissed off at me. I don't know his situation, you know. You could tell that he really cared about this kid. And then all of a sudden, he wasn't able to see them as much. And now there's this new guy in, in his kid's life. And... I could see where that could cause some some angst and jealousy and and I really felt for the guy but that it's a completely different situation I'm in but so I started uh instead of replying 
angrily or replying at all. Most of the time I don't reply at all. It depends on what they say, but I, I take that approach more often if I do have something to say about it these days and just be like, hey, man, I, I'm sorry for the situation you're in. Um, you know, I hope that things get better and you're able to see your kids more. But um, this one guy, I'm going, I'm making a circle, but this guy reached out to me. And I love the way he was talking to me on Facebook. He was just cracking me up. So I gave him my phone number, and he calls me, and uh, I started going on a drive, and we're talking. And he said, hey, man, I just want to let you know my wife and I are divorced, and she's remarried. But I sent your song over to her new husband because I feel like that's what he is to my son when I'm not able to be there. Wow. And I was like, damn, man, that's 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 super powerful. And I think that. At the end of the day, I understand I'm empathetic of of the uh, biological fathers who are in the situation, and you know sometimes sometimes dads get the into the stick. You know it's just how how it is, and that's old country Kentucky saying for anybody who don't understand. I'm not trying to offend anyone for all the easily triggered people, um, but uh, but no man, I just. Uh, I feel like that was a huge show of swallowing your ego and just realizing there's another person in the world who cares enough about your child to consider them their own. And how does that hurt our kid at the end of the day if, if we have someone who cares that way? So sorry for the. No, I love it. Tangent, That's, but. That, I love it. It's uh, it's so well said. And I appreciate you sharing all of that with us and, and your vulnerability at all, because that, that's what I'll get you out of here on. I have a lot of friends who are artists, LV, and I've been with them on the eve of albums coming out. And a couple of them are very vulnerable writers. You mentioned Kip Moore. He's a great friend to me. I love him like a brother. I have seen the way that some of these guys are, their body language, their insecurity when a piece of them is about to go out into the world. This energy and this vulnerability that they're about to open their soul and hand this emotion to the world. That's a terrifying prospect because if it's genuine, you offering that energy to the universe means you have to be okay with whatever energy comes back to you because it's genuine. But it is scary. What? What was it like for you the day or two or the day of putting this piece of yourself out into the universe? Man, I think that uh, it it was nothing but excitement for me. Um, I great. lived for so long. You know, I went I went so long in my life. I got messed with when I was a kid. I was always the, the kid that even if I could tell you didn't like me, well, that made me want to want to try to make you my friend even more when you when you didn't like me because i understood my intentions i always have understood my intentions but i feel like i always felt like i was looked at differently by groups of people and when i started looking at these songs i seen all of this universal human experience within my life that and so it's like it was my way of like all this stuff that I've been holding in since I was a teenager and everything to just put out in the world and be like, Hey man, we're all human. And this is all the same that we've all experienced in our lives. Mistakes made lessons learned from them. First love, love's lost, real love found 
all this stuff is stuff that we we all if we're so blessed to we get to experience and so my main concern with putting everything together is that i could lay my head down at night and feel like i was honest in my approach with writing and that i didn't cut any corners or try to pander to anything sonically lyrically stylistically or anything and as i listened to that record every day leading up to the release i i found i found mistakes made you know in in lyric or melody or or whatever but i i grew to love those too because it just is even more of what the record's about is just being human and mistakes are made but the coolest thing to me was when i listened to it and i would go to bed i could lay my head down and i didn't feel like i had done anything dishonest or anything that would keep me up at night you know um so yeah man i'm just i'm proud of it i'm proud of my team i'm proud of so many so many fresh blood you know people coming to the to the scene i wrote two of these songs on record my brothers are on uh there's there's two or three writers that didn't have publishing deals or anything and and um a lot of new and up-and-coming writers the producer the engineer the master like there's so much new in this and i'm 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 proud of what they helped me create well, you should be, brother. And I say uh, that with a, all the humility in the world, you know. Yeah. Oh, just, yeah. Uh, it's 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 a it's a brilliant piece, and I love it. And our listeners are going to love it. All y'all, make sure you go find this thing. It's on all the streaming platforms. It's um, it's so good, man. And I, I appreciate you sharing the path with us and and, and sharing your spirit. It's funny listening to you say you're trying to strong arm people into understanding you or liking you when you were younger. I've said it more to help. My my admission is in the Library of Congress and in, in the book that I wrote. My my worst insecurity is I like to be liked. And damn, I hate it because I've lost so much time worrying about what other people think of me. And now as an old ass man with a bunch of gray hair, I'm finally, finally starting, starting to get to a place where I can tell them to go to hell um, while also <laughs> trying to have grace and pray for them, I guess. That's uh, that's it. Yeah, man. I, yeah. I, thank you, man. I appreciate that. I, uh, uh, I feel the same way. I'm starting to feel – I'm starting to definitely feel that way myself and, and just be okay with, with who I am, and I think this record really helped me do that. And I hope the record, you know, reaches out and touches some younger kids and helps them realize that. And and another thing too, real quick before we leave, something that was super important to me with this record uh, was the guitar stuff. I love all my musicians, but the the things that really pulled me into music at a young age was those Richard Bennett licks and on the Steve Earle records and and, and that stuff and the John Fogarty licks on the John Fogarty solo stuff, Blue Moon Swamp, CCR. And that was the stuff when I was a kid that made me want to start playing guitar and really dig into music. So I hope I hope that there's some kids out there that hear this stuff and and hear these guitar licks and it, it pulls them into the songs and hope you know if one kid gets inspired to play guitar and in 15, 20 years he's sitting in a session in Nashville playing in the same seat where Rob McNelly or Tom Bukovic played 
on these records or something then you know and that goes for in, any and all of the instrumentation on on the record but you know guitars always just really spoke to me so that's it man i appreciate you guys so much thanks for having me this has been very enjoyable and you almost got me choked up a couple times but i made it through i uh that is my goal in life lv is to make my interview subjects weep like babies it's we'll, we'll have to do another we'll have to do a second version because now you've got my mind going down this earworm rabbit hole of copperhead road the rain came down someday guitar town those Steve Earle records from back in the mid eighties are just, I mean, if y'all don't know that stuff, go find it because holy shit, it's, it's, uh, it's just beautiful. All right, man. Thank My you. My favorite record of all time. You. That's right. Which one? See Which you, one? buddy. Thank y'all. Oh, it was Guitar Town, 1986. Oh yeah. Yep. But, all right. We're going to have to have a second installment of this conversations at some point here, brother. Have a great day. Yes, thank sir. you so much for your time and your talent and your vulnerability we're better for it have a great one bro you too i say it all the time guys that one of the most amazing parts of my life and i'm a very blessed man is having platforms and time and opportunity to learn about people's lives that have inspired mine i've only known about lv's work for a few weeks now a month or so and his influence on my life is dramatic because I meant what I said to him. I can't stop listening to this record. I think it's brilliant. And I was really pondering that a couple days ago around Thanksgiving. I was walking my dog around my neighborhood, and I had Saturday Night Me playing on my, my AirPods. And I'm walking down my sidewalk, and I'm messing around with my puppy dog, and Unfortunately, she's wearing a Santa Claus outfit. Don't ask. We'll do that when I when I drag Wes and Travis back onto the podcast. Maybe we'll discuss the fact that my wife and I dressed our dog in a Santa Claus outfit for the month of December. I'm walking her around the block, and I am singing this song out loud, and I'm singing it with great conviction. I am a pump-my-fist, point-at-the-camera kind of guy, and I'm walking down my sidewalk, and I'm pointing at nothing because this song is speaking so deeply to me. And there are 10, 12 of those songs on this album that if you grew up like I grew up, and I know a lot of y'all did because I hear from you all the time of how cool you think it is that there's a guy that sounds like this on a platform like ESPN. If y'all grew up like I grew up, then go get this record right now and listen because it's going to speak to you. It's going to speak to what it's like growing up in the middle of nowhere and what you do and how you grow and how in a lot of ways you spend a lot of time wanting nothing more than to get out of there and then once you get out of there you want nothing more than getting back it's brilliant and i appreciate elvie my goodness wasn't he vulnerable y'all sharing that story about that Facebook interaction and sharing the vulnerability that I'm not sure he was really aware he was sharing about the impact of social media on our lives. I'm going to do a whole podcast someday on that. I'm still too insecure to do it right now, but the mental health aspect of social media and what it does to us, that some guy that he's never met said one thing to him about this brilliant song and it made him that angry and he stewed on it. 
it told me a lot about me in that moment because I've been there. And I don't like it at all. Grateful for him. Grateful for this platform. Grateful for Outsider. And certainly grateful for you guys. Thank you so much for investing in this. Please rate, review, and follow Outsider, at Outsider, and, and this podcast, the Marty Smith Podcast. The more you guys rate it and review it, the more people are going to pay attention to it. And that's what we want. We want people to hear these interviews because they can impact the life. We get feedback that tells us so all the time. Thank you to our law enforcement officials all over the country working hard to keep our communities safe. Thank you to our fire and rescue teams. Thank you so much to the United States military and the freedoms that you afford us with your sacrifice. This is the Marty Smith Podcast at Outsider. We're so grateful to get to do this. Thank you all. Have an amazing week.